Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is Sam Alexander with the news. The Boston Globe is seeking to contact anyone with knowledge of unsolved mysteries in Maine for an upcoming series of articles. If you or someone you know has such knowledge, congratulations. You also live in Dairy. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And Benjamin Graham. Hey, hey, constant readers. And today we are covering part one of The Colorado Kid, which was selected through our Patreon selections by Bryant Burnett. And we are covering through chapter nine. And we have Ben leading our discussion. Ben, take it away. All right, guys. Um, Real quick, mm-hmm. before we get into the book, which I'm super excited to, to discuss, never read this, really enjoying it. I had a quick question for you two, just like real quick poll if this is if this was better as an off-air discussion i'm sorry it's just um do we do we talk about stephen king too much on the show i feel like the appropriate amount because that's what you think because that's what the show's about i think we could like go harder you think more more see i was afraid of that oh no um (laughs) uh i I thought it would be really fun to have a new bit right up top where we just like Talk, talk, hang out. Seen any good movies lately, guys? No, no. Theaters no. Are shut down, man. Uh, Reading any other books? Just, just Stephen. A new, a new. Here's our new bit. Hey guys, how are you doing? <laughs> good. Oh, okay. See him. I'm well. This is not taking up as much time as I thought. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> um, no, the, 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 the problem is, is that the, this book, we are starting the Colorado kid. Wait, hold on. Uh, I have to go get us some Cokes. So can you just pause this story for a minute? Right, <laughs> something kind of cool might be happening right? and I'll be right back. Uh, yeah, that's great. That is great time that I, this book's short, y'all. It's so short. It is. Um, we're doing the Colorado Kid, which is his first foray into the uh, what is it called? True crime, the hard crime, the hard, hard case crime. crime novels. Which I'm apologize. I have to correct. I said Joyland was his first, but it's actually no Colorado, the Colorado Kid. Kid. Um, and, and I'm enjoying the hell out of it. But the second we sat down here in the studio, I feel. Like I can see an imaginary producer standing in the corner doing the stretch motion. (laughs) (laughs) Because I sat down to read this. All of a sudden I was at chapter nine and I was like, wait, what? I just sped through it. And I'm just hoping we have a whole episode here. I guarantee we have a whole episode here. Oh, good. Okay. Can I I ask you guys, did you also just read the whole thing? (laughs) Yeah. You guys, <laughs> no, I, did, I didn't. I didn't mean to. I yeah. I it was an accident. I just stopped. I was like, oh, that's the end. No, I. It's actually I used this opportunity to read two of the three um, 
Southern Reach trilogy. I read the first one during this time, too. Uh, So, oh, we can talk about that for a good half an hour. (laughs) It's real good. Did you imagine the crawler as the hep C monster from that Rick and Morty episode? No, not at all. Oh, anyway. (laughs) Okay, let's, okay, let's, let's rein it in. I think we've, uh, hey guys, how's it going is a successful new segment, (laughs) but let's get to the book. Yeah. Uh, The Colorado Kid starts out on Moose Lookit Island. What a name. I don't know about you guys, but I want to move there. (laughs) Yes. It sounds really awesome. It is this small island on the main coast, and it is the most idyllic. At one point, one of our three characters, uh, our three characters being Vince Tagg, 95-year-old reporter for the Weekly Islander, Dave Bowie, That bothered me. Because oh, every time I read it, I had every to... Every time. Not David Bowie. <laughs> not David, David Bowie. Bowie. It's, it's... Why'd you do those, that? It's, it's, it's Stephen King. He, Johnny B. Good. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. I was like, why? Why put this splinter in my brain that every time I read it, it's like playing with a sore in your mouth? You know, I'm going to tell you why. Because, why is that? Because, I don't know if this is a fair assessment or not. But these two characters, it's the, we get it's three characters, yes, that we hang out with, and the two gentlemen are just old reporters. I continually forgot their names <laughs> until I like, oh, David Bowie, when I went to make my notes, and I was like, ah, and then I never forgot his name. <laughs> I... So, so you'd always remember how to tell them apart. Anyway, our three characters, Vince Tag, who's a reporter, Dave Bowie, who is a 65-year-old managing editor for the Weekly Islander, and Stephanie McCann, who is a young junior reporter who is uh, spending, what is it, the summer? Or yeah, she's an internship. She's an intern for the paper. And back to my original thought, at one point, they're describing the town and the island and how everyone lives together and how everyone knows everything and everyone works together, especially during this mystery. And one of them says, it's it's not that it's anything romantic. And I immediately called bullshit on that because this is the most romanticized version of the small, quiet town. I, I, I want to go there, is all I'm saying. Okay. I have a, a small counterpoint that's a little bit, little bit of a derailment. I know that's not in my wheelhouse to derail a conversation. <laughs> my family, my dad's side of the family, lives in a very small community. It less, I think there's like 800 people in this town. Same kind of thing. Everybody knows everybody's business. Beautiful uh, landscapes out in the mountains. And I would go there and visit, and I love it. But then you realize that you've met all the people (laughs) at a certain point. You've met all the people and everybody knows everybody knowing everything sounds kind of cool until. So my uh, my half sister and I were walking through the grocery store and she was telling me about and I quote the murder. (laughs) Only one only one has ever happened in this community. The murder. She's telling me like the little things about it. And we run into a friend of hers coming down the other way in the grocery aisle, she overhears a little bit of the story and goes, oh, you telling him about the murder? (laughs) (laughs) 
And it's just that that's it. That, Are you kidding me? That sounds amazing. <laughs> I don't know what the, that's so surreal that I want to feel like I'm living in oh, have to find a cooler reference than Stars Hollow. <laughs> have to. No. No. Gilmore uh, Girls is always cool. A, I haven't seen Gilmore Girls. At my all. girlfriend's watching it. I hate Lorelai. That's another conversation. <laughs> anyway, where the fuck are we? The first paragraph? We're still, yeah, man. We're, we're introducing our characters. We're, we're out to, to lunch. Yes. Josh, you want to explain what's happening at okay. lunch? Uh, they're sitting down with a reporter from the Boston Globe because he's interviewing. He's traveling around getting stories for a series of articles about the great unsolved mysteries of the East Coast. And he buys the team lunch at the Grey Gull to say, hey, if you have any stories, let's talk about it. Maybe there'll be something interesting. And they they basically say every mystery that has come out of our area is has already been done to death. People talk about it. Nothing new. There is no great unsolved mystery here. It's just people live in their lives and occasionally a strange thing happens. And... The Boston Globe reporter begrudgingly pays for his food so that he can get the hell out and grab a ferry and go find a more interesting story. After this happens, they're they're sitting around and basically you just get to know the relationship between these three characters very quickly through just a very old timey Yankee talking down to <laughs> about how tipping works. <laughs> yeah well okay it, it, but it's i don't know it's more about like townies versus tourists too though yeah at, at this point in the book uh, i i was not sure about these these old men because it's almost condescending we learn that stephanie has only been in town for three months and it is a running trope in King books that the new person in town can be there for years. I mean, we just finished Bobby Anderson had been in uh, Haven for years and years and years, and they still called her the new, the new person in town. So I came in with that idea and it's like, Oh, these old men are like, Oh, this, this little out of towner doesn't know anything. I I changed my mind pretty quick. (laughs) I'm curious if you guys, what you feel about their relationship, because I I kept getting a little bit tripped up on the, how do I want to say this? If Stephanie was Steven, would those things stick out to us or bother us? Because there's a weird dynamic between these two older men and this very young, green, fresh young woman, because it's very much a focus about how they're kind of doting on her, but it's made to be about... You know, because she's physically attractive and yeah. she's young and supple, like mind and body. And I'm sort of like, ah. and for a lot of it, it is hard to determine how old Stephanie is via how they treat her. Yeah. Because as they start telling the story of the Colorado kid, they're telling the story and she'll get very excited that she comes up with a question That's part of this mystery. Something missing from the story. And it's very endearing of her that she's like a natural reporter and gets these little details that I wouldn't think to ask or any normal person, but she gets it 
But the way they respond is like watching a puppy <laughs> that like did a trick good. Yeah. You know what helped me? I sincerely thought for the majority of this book that they were husbands. <laughs> is they, it just me? No, no, okay. it is not. I okay. Uh, beside all of the <laughs> kind of uh, belittling talk, Vince and Dave are adorable. Yes, yeah, they They're, are. They are at the same time two small children and an old married couple. <laughs> yeah. I I would let them belittle me. See, and that's kind of the like. <laughs> I'm not a, right. a a woman, so I can't really say. But like, I get that idea of having two teachers that you respect who've been doing this thing that you want to do, and they have what a hundred years of experience <laughs> yeah. between the two of them. And it's not even that they are treating her this way. Because, mm-hmm. Like it's okay for her to be a woman, and in that position with them and for them to be men the only reason it sticks out in my mind and probably any other mind of a female reading this is because that's what we get as women in almost everything we read it's very rare that the tables are sort of reversed unless it's a female writer or the southern reach trilogy (laughs) the the biologist is the coolest character can we talk about this book it's so fucking good off, off air ben. Uh, oh god damn it okay uh, fine so uh, the the point at which i left the track of thinking uh, what how they treat her as any way uh, being condescending or belittling is when they first have the conversation of uh they ask uh you know what the great thing about being as, as old as we are is and she's like what and he says you only have to teach people who want to learn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that gave me the sense of they want to teach her so much because she's so excited to learn. And so I took every time they kind of bait her or make her or say, you tell me why this happened as being as coming from an excited place because you can tell they want her to know the answers. Mm-hmm. They want her to succeed because they celebrate when she does. Mm-hmm. You are absolutely right. I agree with that 100%. And that is how it is written. It just sucks that because of all the other media out there that yeah. does that, that this this suffers from that a little bit. Yeah. Unfa- unfairly. Your, your gut instinct is to take it to a different place. Mm-hmm. Uh, after lunch, the three of them head back to the office of the Weekly Islander. I really hope I'm saying the name of the paper, yeah. right? That's what mm-hmm. it... I almost called it the Daily Insider. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, the Weekly Islander, which, um, first of all, are these the only three employees? Yeah. They are, yeah. right? They have yeah. to be. It, they have to be, because it's literally like two, three desks <laughs> and this really nice deck that looks out over the island. This is where I started taking notes almost immediately about everything. <laughs> this is a clue, right? Yes, I did yeah. the same exact thing. You guys did that? I, I kept, I kept like analyzing each sentence, trying to stay <laughs> ahead of these three characters because I wanted to get something before they taught Stephanie. Yeah. It, also, because Joyland fucked me. <laughs> <laughs> the The fact that Joyland got past me with that reveal has made me 
unpleased by yeah. it for a long time. <laughs> I wanted to beat this book. Yeah, it, it it started here with Stephanie looking out over the island, and I think Vince comes up behind her and says, careful, Steph. Uh, Steffi. Not great. Uh, <laughs> careful, Steffi. Island life has a way of creeping up on you. Makes you want to stay or something like, along those lines. And I'm like, this view has to come in. There's going to be part of the mystery where Steffi's going to see a murder from this deck. And I thought that the mystery was going to be that we're going to really, because it's Stephen King, but of course mm. it's hard case and I should have known he wasn't going to do this to us. But I thought that one of the old guys was going to die and she was going to come across his body uh, and it wasn't natural causes. Yeah, it, it, immediately I was like waiting for gathering clues for a mystery. I did not know what the <laughs> yeah. mystery was yet, <laughs> yeah. which is amazing because as of chapter nine, I still don't really know what the mystery is. <laughs> so did you guys, this would be a good place to mention this. Did you guys know that King only wrote this book. He only got into the hard case crime because the the person published, creating this publishing company, huge fan of those old sort of noir detective novels, wanted to bring that back and give it new life and was thinking, okay, well, what's going to draw people into these tiny little books that look so dated? Because he wanted to be true to like the covers and have, mm -hmm. you know, a femme fatale on, on the front or something. And he thought, oh, of course, like if I have Stephen King write a blurb, about how cool this is. And he didn't know Stephen King. So he contacted, I think it was his accountant, and sort of like, hey, would he, you know, be willing to write this thing? And so he gets a call from King's publisher shortly after that. And the guy's like, hey, he he's not gonna write a blurb for you. And so the the pub this guy's like, oh, you know, of course not, not even a problem at all. I appreciate you calling me. And he's like, he's gonna write you a book. <laughs> <laughs> That's really That's cool. amazing. I need to look into the the publishing, the imprint, because if, if they're as good as this in Joyland, love it. Um, and there's going to be a new one coming in 2021. I know the the timing uh, yeah. that it's coming out later is pretty cool. <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, I immediately started looking for clues, but nope, they just <laughs> talk for a while. Steph, we learned Stephanie's main job is writing arts and things, which is about, <laughs> like, bake sales and stuff, and she has this genuine, sincere affection for it that immediately I was like, I love, I love her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, first of all, I love that arts and things can encompass so much. <laughs> because it's three people on this news team. Right. I love that they have that, it's so vague, so they could probably be like, uh, do that's whatever. Things. <laughs> that's things. That's things. That's a good one. That's things. That's things. <laughs> My um, new weekly article. And we also have this um, little bit where it's just a really quick character trait that we're introduced in a really clever way, I thought, is Stephanie writes out all of her stories uh, longhand on yellow legal pads. And Vince, our 95-year-old <laughs> uh, old, old man, is typing on a computer and he's like, boy, this is backwards. <laughs> and yeah. I just thought that was cool. It shows that I, we're supposed to think of Stephanie as an old soul, I guess, because she she does this the old-fashioned way and her two best friends are uh, an old married couple. There's a reason she fits in well with them. And that's the, the reason they take her into their confidence for this whole thing is that she is... 
she's showing that she belongs here. Mm-hmm. When and we have already talked about how Stephen King treats outsiders. And weirdly, like the the mystery that we're about to get into that they share with her, it's so cool the way they do this, you know, trusting her with that because it's it's only an islander thing. Mm-hmm. And she is still a guest, but somehow she has ingratiated herself to them, to this community in such a way that she can be part of this. And that's actually been like when you say I would live there, that is what makes me want to live there. Like that mm-hmm. dream of just Because Ben's there. You, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that you would you would um find your community kind of like our podcast. Like you click with these other people so well that you can share this common love and appreciation for something. Yeah. I just want to have two old man friends. <laughs> <laughs> ben, when we get old, we'll just stay friends. I'm oh, already okay. like no, an old man. That's not the same, though. We'll, CM will stop aging. <laughs> Thank you. That and we'll be old men, and we'll be this news team later. I, I could believe that there's a painting of CM aging in a closet somewhere. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I'm flattered or concerned oh, no. about what impression I'm giving off. Oh, no. You got a... <laughs> Uh, you got a real witch thing. Uh, no, what? You got a big Sorceress. Dorian. You got a big Dorian Gray vibe going on. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> I gotta pick that apart later. <laughs> uh, okay, so back to the book. There's so many things at this point that I'm still trying to guess what the book is. <laughs> uh, there are a few notes I took of things that I'm like, these have to come back. Mrs. Edna Steen, the Down East Grammar Queen. <laughs> it's a single sentence that there's one person that doesn't like Stephanie's work. And I'm like, if we don't eat, meet this character by the end of the book, I will eat my hat. <laughs> Never comes up again. No. Vince says he starts the Islander in 1948 at the same time as the Tinnock and Hannock fires. Also, never mentioned again because the story of the Colorado kid takes place in the 80s. Now, I'm trying to read your faces really hard to see if they come back in the second half, but so far, You guys should know that I love nothing more than being teased with just, you know, it's like the club. This reminded me. Sorry, I just screamed into my mic. (laughs) And then I just like sucked my math and mask into my mouth to take a huge breath. Okay. This reminded me of, like, I could easily imagine these two men and this woman, because it'd be like, now we're progressive, right? In the club, and they're telling her this story, because that's kind of how this is set up. It's, I I wanted to talk about that, actually. This is leaping all over the place. (laughs) But I wanted to ask you whether that framing device, which he uses a lot, uh, Joyland had a very similar framing device, of people telling a story at the start. Once we get to chapter five, when they start the story proper, I had this knee-jerk reaction of show, don't tell. Mm-hmm. What? Why, if this is the story, why are we not just reading the story? And it bothered me at first. I knew it wouldn't bother CM because yes, <laughs> it is very the club. But what, what did you think, Josh? Uh, the, the reason I think I I expected to be well into the story of the Colorado kid by now, by, by ch- five chapters in, because they spend so much time almost warding her away from the story, being like, we'll tell you about it, but gotta, gotta warn you, 
it's the greatest unsolved mystery that's ever befallen us. So that's that's what you're getting into. And they like pushing back so far on it. It made me like think, all right, so now we're going to get into the story. And this is when everything becomes a clue. This is going to be. So from the moment this story starts from here to the end, this is going to be I'm going to fill notepads of, of paper. So I was I was really excited at the the pushback. Uh, I do want to talk about one more thing before we get to the actual story of the Colorado kid, if I may. Yes. The other unsolved mysteries that have befallen this community, they that they've said are, have been mined to death. I just kind of kind of want to go over them because I think yeah. it brings up a really interesting point. So the mysteries that they have talked about or written about in the past are the Lisa Cabo, the Coast Lights, the Wandering Mormons. And the Tashmore Church poisonings. The Lisa Cabo was a ship that washed up. Everybody on the crew was dead, like slaughtered. And they have no idea where the ship came from and and how they all died. The Coast Lights was a photo taken over a Little League game that looked like there were UFOs in the sky. The Tashmore Church poisonings. uh, Two people survived a, a church function where the iced coffee was poisoned and the two people who survived that incident get continually interviewed every so many years for them to circle back and touch base on, see if they remember anything new, whatever. But the point that this brings up is Vince says that people love these stories because they have an unknown thing that people can fill in with a must-have-been. The Lisa Cabo must have been pirates. The the lights, it must have been weather balloons. The te- the church poisonings, it must have been a jealous lover. Mm-hmm. And they have all of these, these things. And the reason that they don't want to share the Colorado kid is because he says there are too many unknowns and not a single must have been. So the argument here is that you don't share it because... These mysteries are never a complete story. You give the reader at least one unknown and at least one must have been. And the reader fills in the blanks for themselves. And that's what makes a good mystery. And the more I thought about that, the more I could not get every mystery. Uh, I watched the entire series of Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix. (laughs) It's really good. And was just dissecting it using that method. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy shit, that holds up. Every unsolved mystery, every unknown mystery I can think of has those exact elements. And it never occurred to me before. So this blew my mind. And this is actually my favorite part of the book in in the writing of the book is this idea. Later on in the book, as they've started telling the story, which I guess we should we should start with the story. Oh, yeah. Um, well, first, we I, I have to go um, balance the books. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll take a five minute recession and yeah. then the book uh, waited recess. halfway to get to this point. Yeah. We waited halfway to get to this point. <laughs> so, the story is two kids, Johnny Gravelin and Nancy Arnold, discover a dead body on the beach while running to the ferry before school one day. Jerry uh, Johnny Gravelin we learn, is the current day mayor. Did anybody else underline that three times? Yes. (laughs) Obviously. 
it is thrown out later that Nancy Arnold, her current whereabouts are unknown. Huge clues. (laughs) They find this body and they know he's dead. The second he's he's propped up against a trash can and Nancy makes Johnny go over there and shake him. And he's rigor mortis and he falls over. He fucks the crime scene a million ways (laughs) by picking up a pack of uh, cigarettes and putting it back in his pocket. That, I don't smoke, so I didn't know enough to understand what that clue was, but I knew it was a thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's obviously a thing because this kid just put his fingerprints (laughs) All all over the crime scene. And then he just thinks, well, I'll tell the sheriff. That I did that. That's that's some real mayor behavior. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote down, when body falls over, mayor junior touching him, strike one. (laughs) Nancy makes uh, him move the body back, strike two. And then he puts a pack of cigs back in his pocket, strike three, you're the mayor. Um, Did (laughs) Did you guys feel like this was, and I was so pleased to find this in a hard case crime novel, because I didn't know if you would do it. A Stephen King moment when yes. when they're talking. Uh, I think it was Vince. Vince or David was saying that they were talking to him later about that, and he, you know, they'd had drinks or something, and he was saying, "I will never forget the way he felt when I touched him," and it was just like this, not gory or like even overly descriptive, but just so simple. That you thought as you're reading it, you're like, oh my god, I know, I, I couldn't know exactly what that feels. He like. said, he said it felt like a wood carving. Yeah. And as you're soon as I read that, like I felt my yes. hands grip mm-hmm. nothing and was like just <laughs> imagining that terrible feeling and how haunting that must have been. So after they they find this and uh, they run downhill to the library and then uphill back to the corpse, which is definitely a clue, guys. It has to be a clue. They they call in and the sheriff, Sheriff George Wuornos, Doc Robinson, and our two newspaper men come uh, to investigate. And here's the part that got me. They say, this is when little Johnny Gravelin leaves our story. He just, he <laughs> and just I was leaves. Like, bullshit. Bullshit he does. I, it, it, like, <laughs> that, I, I was immediately, I, at first I was like, bullshit. But then when we get to the next chapter, it clicked with me and it became, th- this is one of my favorite bits of writing in the book, is they're saying, the whole time they're telling this, they're saying, it's not a story. Sometimes, I don't have the exact quote, but it's sometimes a thing happens and you think there's a story in that. This isn't just a random happenstance. There's a story here, but there just isn't. All it is is a string. Uh, It's only a bunch of, quote, that it's only a bunch of unconnected facts surrounding a truly unexplained mystery. And the fact that I had spent the whole book up to this point thinking there's that this is part of the mystery. This is this is definitely a clue. <laughs> Second of all, this is definitely a murder mystery. Did that get you oh, guys? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That up to a certain point, you're like, oh, this guy was murdered. And then at a certain point, Steph goes, 
uh, this murder what happened and they're like whoa you're getting ahead of yourself <laughs> no one said murder that blew my mind yeah and i i love the idea that it's just something you think you need to understand get to the bottom of and yet it's just noise which is exactly what the book Annihilation is about. <laughs> See, Annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer is it's all about uh, objective versus subjective, and things can't really be one thing. And you think you're trying to get to the bottom. And there's a dolphin with man eyes. Okay. <laughs> but Can, that's a different podcast. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Rain it in, fellas. Okay. <laughs> well, what you're saying, though, is so cool because and then we need, like, a phrase for this. Like, you've been kinged. But it doesn't work <laughs> as that, well if you can't not see that my, at all. my finger. You don't like that? <laughs> all right. I'll, I like I'll, the finger guns. Whatever the phrase is involves <laughs> finger guns. Also, you did finger guns. I gestured. <laughs> you guys, COVID has been rough to me. <laughs> anyway, no, it's, you know, Ben, you're saying that you're, so he writes it in such a way that he sucks you in with all of these possible clues and you're really honed in on, okay, what's this going to be? So is Stephanie. Mm-hmm. So it would be any character living this experience. And then he hits you with, no, it's not. And as she's understanding that you as a reader, it's like clicking, you're understanding Oh, he just did to me the thing that the entire book is about. I just yeah. fell for it, which is why I thought that you've been kinged was <laughs> really. I thought you guys were going to be behind me on that one. We'll workshop it. Yeah. Okay. We'll workshop it. So the sheriff, uh, George Warnos, who did make me Google to see if all of the other characters were named after serial killers. I, they're not. <laughs> I thought the same thing. The Doc Robinson and uh, Team Old Men show up and they start to inspect the crime scene. Uh, Sam, would you like to go over the crime scene? Uh, the real clues? The, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so they, it's the coroner. And is it David or Vince? No, it's it's not the coroner. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just the Doc, Doc Robinson. Oh, yeah, because he's talking about who, sending the body off to the coroner. Yes, yes. Who I love this character because he's just a little fat guy. And he they're like asking him questions. And he's like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a forensics I'm expert. A pediatrician. <laughs> yeah, he's just a, a, a GP on this little island. I loved that, that he was like... I might as well have been making guesses uh, at some point. <laughs> I think he does a great job, though, because he's he's trying to figure out how long this guy has possibly been dead. And he decides it's been six or more hours. And there's sort of that, that window because it depends on the breeze coming in, you know, from the water, if it's sped things up, you know, what, what sort of environmental yeah. conditions that's, might interfere that's with the part I like, because he's like, I guess it could, but... I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so six hours or, or whatever, I guess. <laughs> and the guy is like, you know, our age-ish. He's probably in his 30s or 40s. And what he notices, and I, this, I was like, what the fuck is this? What is this possibly going to be? He no- They notice that his, his right hand has like something sticky on it because there's sand stuck to his right hand, but not his left hand. And he's, his hand is like making a shape like he was holding something. And so I'm trying to think, like, okay, was it a weapon? Was he trying to, like, fight somebody off? No, nothing like that. Like, just at all. Nothing like that. <laughs> and then he notices that his throat has, like, this bulge. It doesn't look normal. Which brings us to, 
like this hilarious well i thought it was hilarious scene where you know this big guy like gets down and he's like okay you guys i'm gonna give you each a flashlight and i'm gonna pull this guy's jaw open way wider than it needs to go which i did not like reading about (laughs) and we're gonna just look in here and see if we can see what this is because i don't know maybe this is like boom solved it and so they look in and before i say what it was did either of you expect it to be what it was i had a an inkling because uh earlier uh, before they start to tell the story they're explaining why it's so mysterious dave goes yeah but the steak and (laughs) i noted down i'm like okay that's such a weird statement that it could mean a bunch of different stuff and i want to know what it is and it turns out the guy just choked on some steak (laughs) so yeah i i kind of half guessed that it was Mm -hmm. some kind of food i kept i could not get my head out of the murder mode and so i kept thinking of yeah, he had, there was food in his hand and they were going to look it down his throat and like the wrapper was going to be shoved down his throat mm-hmm. or something. Because I'm like, I'm trying to place all these pieces. The dumbest theory I had, though, was because <laughs> of the the encircled hand of like him choking to death and seeing somebody who could save him and that person walking away and him making the jerk off motion. <laughs> <laughs> like, his final his final moment is just calling that guy a jerk off. Those are good that's last how words. he dies. <laughs> That very poetic image <laughs> reminds me that, that this chapter in particular, I wrote down uh, a note. The writing in this chapter is fucking on point. Mm-hmm. The sequence of them coming to examine the body, there were so many passages that made me like stop. And the the image of the three men who are there, they take a moment, uh, a moment of silence and just stare down at this body. And the, the way it's written is just like so introspective and ki- kind of, you, I could just picture it in my mind so perfectly. It, ha- it has the right amount of weight to it. Yes. And it has the right amount of detail that you really want to sink in and make sure you visualized every part of the speech. Yes. And, and there's another part where that they're asking the doc, you know, questions. They say, what, how old is he? And he says, I would guess about 40. And Vince thinks quote, 40 seemed about right. And it occurred to me that it's too bad for a fella to die at 40. A real shame. It's a man's most anonymous age. Hmm. Something about that is, it just felt so true and it just fucking got me. Mm -hmm. I was like, King is writing his ass off right now. (laughs) And then a few pages later, he takes a full paragraph to explain the process of shining some flashlights down a guy's throat. (laughs) And I'm like... Well, King, king's gonna king. <laughs> king's got a king. <laughs> Finger guns. Uh, it would have been funny if it weren't so strange. Kingism. We got one. <laughs> I wanted more, and again, I loved that I didn't get more of it. But the the de- the two detectives they show up and they're just just kind of yeah. they're, they're jerk off motions. Yeah, yeah, they're gestures that I actually do appreciate. <laughs> and, and they have their own intern. And this guy, you just get enough of him through, you know, David and Vince talking about 
how, you know, too bad he didn't end up with different detectives. He might have gone on and done something really great with his career. Instead, he switches careers, which is fine anyway. And he comes to play a part later that I didn't, was like, okay, how's this going to come through again? I did ask myself, I'm like, why are we spending so much time with Paul Devane? <laughs> and I don't know that it really, uh, it's so much time for <laughs> such little payoff. Well, uh, Paul, oh God, I'm going to kick myself because I, I can't remember this character's name. Remember when we did Joyland and we were like, oh, this girl should have been the detective. Mm-hmm. Paul Devane is that girl yeah. in this book. Uh, and okay. and he's kind of a counterpoint to Stephanie too, like a, a right. in the past. Yeah. And I, I sort of liked that, you know, sort of I'm imagining, okay, my head got like all weird, like fanfic about this. I was imagining this, these two characters who are in love, but they're separated by time. And they like can, he's in the eighties and she's in 2005. And, and they can only dis- like talk through a, a mailbox <laughs> at their lake house. <laughs> Even I haven't seen that movie then. <laughs> I was going to say through illegal yellow pads. But. <laughs> that they put in their mailbox. In their mailbox. At their at lake, the lake house. house. <laughs> starring Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Let's talk about Paul Devane. Okay, A little sure. bit more. The reason they're even here, which another thing I thought was going to be a thing. The two detectives are, they happen to be here because there was an apartment fire of suspicious origin. Right. And that's why, so immediately, yeah, these things are tied together. Something's going on. And I immediately thought it was in Tashmore, which is the same place there was a mysterious uh, forest fire in Tashmore in 1948, <laughs> the year the, the, none of this matters. None of it. <laughs> I, I assume, unless you guys are fucking with me. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never know. So the the cops just treat Devane like shit. They don't want him around. They don't care about his education. And they end up sending Devane and Vince went with him to get snacks while the Emmy examined the body and they got it in the bag. And that's how he developed that relationship with Paul Devane, which he says after they they talk about it, that 16 months later, Devane called uh, David and he's become a lawyer and he changed his whole career. But there's something that he needs to tell someone. And then we skip past that for a while. (laughs) The... The one thing, for a story that isn't a story that doesn't have a storyline, there's a very clear progression of the story. (laughs) What do you guys even think that means? Because they keep saying that. that This isn't really a story. I disagree. How can a story not... When is a story not a story? When it's a jar. I was... (laughs) God damn it. As soon as I said it, I saw that flash across your eyes. No, I... And and that's something that I, I feel like I, I'm disagreeing with in this book of that if you just had an incident with a bunch of random facts around them, even if you're just giving me these facts in the order you found them, the story of you gathering these clues is a story. It's just a story about that's just a story that they haven't found an ending to necessarily. Mm-hmm. And so that I, I kind of disagree with that, it, but it's not a story for the paper. Well, it's it's not a story in the sense that a story, quote unquote, has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah. Because you're never supposed to tell a story without those three components, because if you do, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> also, I would argue it has to be a story because this is a book. Yeah. And uh, 
if you don't have a story in a book, it's just like a bunch of words. Okay. Are they using the story or the God? We've said story so many times. <laughs> doesn't sound like meaning. a real word anymore. Does it? <laughs> are they using story 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 as specifically a news story story and not as a synonym for tale? Yes. Because this is a tale. Yes. As it is a story, but it's not a story as a newspaper story. And because it's story. a tale, they d- <laughs> that's why they didn't want to give it away. Because if they had given it away, this guy or his editor or someone down the line would have would have added that missing element. They would have added their own yeah. must have been. Which, like, when, when they were talking about that, for me, I was thinking... When people add their own must because you don't give them one, it's always going to be something super scandalous. And how unfair is that to this dead person who can't defend themselves? Or If you ask me to spell the word story right now, <laughs> I don't think I could do it. So they, it takes a while for them to get the autopsy. There's also a lot of time that passes for them in between some of these things because this guy's autopsy was put... Uh, in the back of the line because they had two murder victims from that house fire. Before we get to the the results of the autopsy, can I, I, I'm going to mention this very short outside of the story interaction between Steph and the newsboys. And I'm not going to look at either of you so that I, you don't accidentally react to it, but there's, Ben's eyes are Josh is covering his eyes with a phone, looking like a lunatic. Anyway, so when they're talking about the autopsy, they're talking about the reason Vince was there is he had to take a picture of the corpse to put in the paper to see if anyone would recognize him. And he had to do it before the autopsy because the coroner thought that he might have to open the jaw wider than is normal. And Stephanie has this morbid thought of saying it would, the, it would look like a corpse with a toothache with a belt wrapped around his head. And they all laugh at it, this gallows humor. And Vince has this little monologue that starts with, gotta laugh at the Reaper. And I wrote, oh no! Because <laughs> that is... <laughs> Some real Vince isn't making it to the end of this story energy. Because <laughs> he has this whole old man speech of like, especially my age, I, I can't do a main accent. <laughs> uh, especially my age, I, I see death around every corner and it's smell his breath on my pillow in the morning. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no. See, you can look at me, Ben, because I have a really good poker face, not because I'm good at having a poker face, but because anytime I feel like I need one, I I sort of go back into my own head and I all I can think is- And your painting I... in the attic <laughs> makes the face for you. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. No, but I just keep thinking, should I- like, look surprised? Or should I look intrigued? What look should I have? How can I misdirect? You're so and it focused. ends up being blank. You're so focused on giving a false lead that you want to, that you end up going blank. Is that it? And you guys are getting painted pictures of me for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it's not the cursed one. But then we'll never know which one to destroy. <laughs> Why would you destroy it? <laughs> to vanquish you. Why would you? I'm the one who edits this podcast. 
Oh, anyway, I just, that's my mm-hmm. prediction. Vince did it and he uh, dies. Vince did, <laughs> Vince did it and he dies. <laughs> I think that they'll, now, Ben, you spoiled the book. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't even know what he did at this point. <laughs> I still don't know what the mystery is. Well, and, and that's the thing, like, it, it's kind of unsatisfying. Can we just can just talk about where this chapter leaves off? Yes. They did the autopsy. They found they found out what his last meals were. They were able to kind of piece together a little more of his timeline. Can I ask a question? Yeah. I in the time it took me to read this and then, you know, a million other things that have happened in life like they always do. I'm lost on something. So didn't he have fish and chips for dinner? That's what they find yes. in the autopsy. Yes. Where do you get the steak? That's in his throat. See, that's something I wrote down is that he had fish and uh, chips for dinner on the mainland. And they think that he left there to get on the ferry to wind up on the island. At some point, he lost a light green jacket. And then his timeline is a mystery, except all we know is at some point, assumingly, uh, assumingly on the beach, because he had the grease still on his hand and his hand in the shape of holding something, he just ate a steak like a weirdo? <laughs> well, and they, and correct me if I'm wrong, but so far we haven't talked to anybody who served him a steak. No. The real mystery is that it was a euro. <laughs> it's, yeah, it, he just ate a four-ounce steak. Yeah. I wish I had that on power. Its own. That I could just conjure, <laughs> conjure steak whenever I needed it. Well, that's where his, his jacket is a steak pocket. And that's why he doesn't have to stay the jacket anymore. They hold on to the body after circulating the photo around. Nobody claims him. So they wait six days. They embalm him. They put him in the funeral home's crypt. And he stays there all the way until November. They found him in April. He stays unidentified until November when they decide to bury him. And we end this final chapter here just where they say Devane comes back to the story because he peeked into the evidence bag when the detectives told him not to and later in his life he dated the daughter of a smoker and I was like fuck you end of this chapter uh yeah because I'm like oh he dated the daughter of the killer <laughs> no it's <laughs> that, that would be a story <laughs> yeah no the the literal the 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 clue that Stephanie finds out, she gets really excited. She knocks over her soda. <laughs> and uh, the the clue is just that on the bottom of cigarette packs is a state tax sticker. Yep, a state tax a stamp. stamp. Or, yeah. Did either of you know that? No, okay. not a smoker. I wonder if, like, I want to talk to someone who knows that to see if they got that right away. And they're like, oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They had been foreshadowing it a bit because they kept saying that Paul Devane is the reason that he went from being John Doe to the Colorado kid. Mm -hmm. And it's the way that they eventually identified him. I just, I couldn't believe we got nine chapters in and still did not have definitive, this is why this is the Colorado kid. Yeah, because, This okay. book is so strange. So far. I had a few questions. This is the end of our reading. Yeah. yeah. But I had a few questions I wanted to ask you guys to speculate with, but <laughs> you fuckers finished the book. I didn't mean to. So now I have to just ponder by myself. Well, where, I, where's what is the mystery? 
because it seems like there is a very explainable mystery that they solved. Because they found out how the guy died, and they found out, it. we don't know who it is, but that they identify him. Case closed! My question <laughs> is, what is the uncanny twist that I know is coming? What do you think it is? I don't know. <laughs> he's gonna, let's just brainstorm a few. They're gonna cut him open, and he's gonna be filled with stuffing like Will in season one of Stranger Things. <laughs> um, he's gonna show up again, just alive, and be like, hey, hi, my name's Dave. I'm from Colorado. I don't know. I, I don't know what it could possibly be. I really wish I could watch you read the rest of this book. (laughs) I'm excited because literally at every turn, I have been trying to get ahead of the book. Mm -hmm. Like you said, CM, I've been trying to stay (laughs) ahead of the book. And at every single turn, it has bested me. And so I'm really hoping the second half goes some wild places. Uh, So uh, uh, before we close out, the thing that I talked about earlier that was stuck in my head is that whole something unknown, something that's a must have been and putting that to the test. So so something I want to do to kind of help cement that theory even more for people who maybe have not or are hearing this for the first time, have not read the book, is I'm going to bring up some mystery that we all know. And I want you guys just to give me the the unknown and any must have been from anything you've gotten from uh, from pop culture or from the History Channel or, or whatever. First, Jack the Ripper, the unknown. Who, who is, is he? And what's the must have been? He must have been a doctor. Who's Winston Churchill? Is that really a theory? I have no idea. Oh, well, the, the, <laughs> so one of the must have beens that like I, I remember hearing about is there was a a. God, like a rich guy from uh, America mm-hmm. that was there. And during that time, there were those killings. And then he left and went to South America. And at that time in South America, very similar killings happened. So it must have been that guy. Mm-hmm. That was, I think, wasn't he a doctor? Or was he just an. I don't know. I've heard a doctor one too. And I thought it was the same guy who like left and then it changed. There's also okay. like the theories of like a butcher. Do you, do you want to hear mine? Yeah. Okay, one time I went to the fish market. Oh my god! With my husband. <laughs> oh, this is a and personal it, one. It was my first. Yeah, this is a true life oh, mystery oh, that oh, I have right. experienced. Okay, all right. and it was my first visit to the fish market. I didn't even know we had one, so I was like, "Yeah, we hey, have a cool. fish market." Yeah, Where? by Menards, huh. old Menards. So anyway, oh. we go there, <laughs> and I'm like, "Look at that beautiful, gigantic piece of smoked carp." I like smoked fish. I'm gonna buy that. So I bought it. I grabbed a few other things. And I remember them wrapping the smoked carp in white butcher's paper. A week goes by and I suddenly realize that I bought smoked carp. So I go to the fridge and I open it and there's no smoked carp. So I ask my husband, did you like eat this whole thing? No. Okay. Did I leave it in my car somehow and it just hasn't become obvious yet? Go out, look in my car. No. Look in the trash. Maybe it accidentally got thrown out. No. To this day, I have never found this giant piece of smoked fish that I bought. So, the what's un- the unknown? The unknown is where did the smoked carp go? 
the must have been is obviously your husband ate it and kept it from you. <laughs> he doesn't uh, even like fish. <laughs> actually, the, the must have been is I ate it. Oh, I forgot. Jacques. <laughs> That's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us next time where we will be covering part two of the Colorado Kid through the rest of the book. For Benjamin Graham and CM Alexander, I'm Joshua Khan reminding you. We poor humans are wired to always think the worst is going to happen because it so rarely does. Then what's only lousy seems okay. Hey everyone, Sam Alexander here. Thank you for listening to The Colorado Kid Part 1. We hope you enjoyed it. I can't wait until we get to talk with Ben about Part 2 and hopefully solve the mystery of the missing carp. As always, find us on social media at Dairy Public Radio. Visit our website, constantreaders.org, for everything Stephen King and Stephen King adjacent. And if you'd like to know how to get us to read your favorite book, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash dairypublicradio. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.